Well, it is a privilege to, to be back with you this morning and to be speaking on this uh, quite amazing passage around the, the idea of the great paradox. Um, fascinatingly, my, my dad was a lay preacher in the Methodist Church back in the 1950s and um, I, have, I have one um, handwritten sermon, only one, that's actually on this passage, which is quite fascinating. Um, but um, I, I must say, um, my approach will probably be a little bit different to Dad's, but I trust he'll be proud of, of, uh, of my attempt to help us make sense of this this morning. So we're bringing this great series to a, a conclusion around the whole idea of, of the great paradox. But, uh, and so the, the art piece is, captures a little bit of that as we, and to be a background, as I kind of introduce this, because Simon Peter's response to, to um, Jesus' action makes a lot of sense to me. Um, Peter's one of the closest disciples. He's one of the three, you know, Peter, James and John, part of the inner, inner group of disciples. But I kind of find myself imagining his shock as Jesus stripped off his outer garment and in the middle of this traditional remembrance of Passover. And then Jesus up and he fills the, the servant's bowl with water and he kneels down in front of one of his friends and starts bathing and drying his feet. And it might have taken a few moments for everyone in the room to kind of realise what was going on, but I kind of picture myself with my mind's eye in that room and I can kind of imagine conversations stopping that eyes and heads and bodies turning and rising. We can't believe what we're seeing. Hearts struggling to process that, that the unfolding reality that was going on before them where Jesus systematically, he, he takes each sweaty, dust-caked foot in his hands and washes them making them clean. And here is the one they call Messiah. He's moving. He himself getting wet and dirty with his head bowed and barely clothed from one disciple to the other. And and it's not so much that this reaction is because no one has ever washed their feet before. On the contrary, the foot washing was was a regular custom. It was something of a necessity for people who lived in first century Palestine because to travel meant to get caked in this Palestinian dust that, you know, um, shepherds with sheep and goats would use the same pathways as people, uh, donkeys and other animals. And, of course, they, they, people walked in all of the deposits that have been left by aforementioned travellers so you're just not quite too sure what you're going to put your foot in in this hot and dry climate. But the inconvenience and the uncleanness of, of um, the foot, the feet, would be dealt with by a common household servant or a slave whose, serv- whose services would go um, largely and always, almost always unnoticed. So when Jesus takes up the slave's garb, strips off his outer robe, picks up and, and picks up the bowl, fills it with water, and takes up the towel, he, he's in the, the slave's garb and doing a chore. 
it, it's impossible for them to ignore. This is a conversation stopper like no other. Foot washing was simply not to be the job of the would-be king. And I wonder if for some of these disciples, that whether this was the act for Judas that planted the seed of doubt in his heart that, that Jesus um, was not going to be the kind of Messiah that would enter Jerusalem and take the throne. I mean, such odd behaviour, it, it's just not what they expected. It was so paradoxical to them, it had to raise questions. So, as we're bringing this series to a closure, this message about the great paradox, I want to define paradox for you. It's a logical statement that seems to contradict itself, is a paradox. It's a statement that, despite having apparently valid reasoning from true premise, leads to an apparently self-contradictory or logically unacceptable conclusion. So as we consider um, the story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet, the central idea, the way John frames this story, that, the, that which he leans on is that Jesus knew his time had come to leave this world and return to the Father. That, that's the, the statement. In the midst of Passover, Jesus knew it was time for him to leave this world and return to his Father. And verse 3 says that he had come from God and he returning to God. So this is the marker that gives the rest of the story its definition, its framework. And so Jesus is about to be liberated from this world to return to the Father. And the text tells us that, and Jesus having loved them, shows how much he loves them to the end. Now, the to the end bit, there's actually a better, well, I think a more accurate Greek translation of, of ace telos, which is they've translated here to the end. Ace telos literally means he loves them to perfection. He loves them completely to perfection. So there's something then about what Jesus does to follow this that is about perfection. There's, there's a completeness, a wholeness around what Jesus is doing beyond just humble service. There's something bigger in all of this about sheer perfection. And, but Jesus reveals that something through the humble act of serving how perfectly and completely he loves them. Now, I'm sure those of us who are familiar with the New Testament, the stories of Jesus, we've all heard about the bowl and the towel. And, and quite rightly and perhaps predictably, your minds, you may have picked up the, the bits and pieces to see the, the scripture this morning, John 13, and, and your minds run straight to Philippians, the story in Philippians 2, which um, and six and, Philippians 2, 6 and following kind of says, though he was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, took on the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God 
and died a criminal's death on the cross and therefore God elevated him to the highest place. So you can be forgiven for thinking that you're going to come this morning and get a, well, hopefully a good sermon, espousing the values and the virtues of humility and servanthood. And those things are good in and of themselves, particularly in Jesus' world, which was a world that was driven of pride and selfishness and not too dissimilar to our world. And those things on their own would be a good enough point to make. But what if John is highlighting something else around Jesus' liberation, around the, the way he loves them to perfection? What if there's something more in the way John tells us the story of Jesus taking up the bowl and the towel? which is the lowliest of all actions for servants and slaves. What if there's more to it that we haven't seen before? And for me this week, it was one of those weeks. See, Isaiah 42 and verse 3 defines the ministry of the the Messiah as a bruised reed he will not break and a smouldering flax he will not snuff out. In righteousness he will bring forth justice. So everything Jesus does is right in righteousness. He's doing the right thing to bring forth justice. That there is, there, is an, there is an equity about what Jesus is doing in the world. But how, how could a simple act of washing his disciples' feet serve the cause of justice? At the surface, it seems a bit obscure, doesn't it? Wouldn't you agree? Like foot washing, justice? How does that work? Well, clearly, Jesus is not oppressing them. He's not making unreasonable demands of them. He's not lording it over them. In actual fact, he's certainly not disempowering them. Serving them like this, Jesus is modelling what it is to empower others. Katie, what was that verse in the, the good news that you, that you had? The in, sorry, the message. Um, I'll just form the other. Give me a second. Sorry. Because the message wraps it up. It's, it's about unless I wash you, it's not you can have nothing to do with me, but you cannot do what I have been doing. If I don't wash you, you can't be part of what I'm doing. So what is Jesus actually doing here? Well, in Jesus' call for his followers to love God and neighbour, he is saying his followers are to treat all people as their child of Godness deserves, without agenda or prejudice, not seeking to manipulate or have power over, or to gain advantage. Jesus serving the disciples in this way, it's not to fulfil an agenda for him, or to give him a platform as if he needed one, to call people to follow, as if they now owe him something, or that they become dependent in an unhealthy way on him. Jesus is not laying a foundation for Christian do-goodism, this perfect love of Jesus, it's a radical 
It's a radical expression of mutual liberation. He's tying his liberation of going to the Father with their liberation serving them from below. Let that sink in for a moment. He is empowering them in, in, in their culture and in their terms in the most basic way. You see, when, when our world sort of marched on with uh, imperialism, where you know there, there are those in power and those out of power, the idea of there, there are those that fit in the norm and those who are excluded and alienated, or there, there are the, the oppressed and the oppressors, when that sort of became the language and part of our everyday reality... It becomes a struggle for everyday people like you and I to relate to each other in ways that are life-giving, just and mutual. You know, we, we look at people in terms of where they live. Do you live at Witangra or Charnwood? Do you live at Dunlop or, or Hawker? Where, where, so the, and, and then there are income stratas that come with that, that, you know, what do you do for work? Are you a this or are you a that? And, and we go through this, it's a tacit thing, it happens behind the scenes and more often than not we're not even aware that we're doing it in putting people into, into the parts where they fit across the strata of society. These are, these are community dynamics that often will put one down to elevate another. And sadly, often social welfare uh, programs are just another way to support the elite that consigns the one being served to the place and the status of client, which makes them dependent on the service delivery and the service itself. But actually it disempowers them. It's a little bit like the intervention in Central Australia where the government sort of sends people in and intervenes in Aboriginal community unilaterally, disempowering the community, disempowering the community structures rather than coming alongside and helping these communities resolve the challenges that they're facing. They're actually disempowered in that process. When people are turned into clients... Effectively, they're disempowered. So people are conditioned to take away someone else's power to themselves be empowered. But serving the disciples from the lowest place without in any way making demands of them or in any way that diminishes them, Jesus frees them from unhealthy dependency and oppression. He empowers them to empower one another. If if I do not wash you, you cannot do what I have been doing. What have I been doing? Serving the purposes of the kingdom to empower 
people to kingdom purposes. So, Jesus taking the posture, he frees them from dependency oppression. He sets them perfectly free. Can you see the connection here? He sets them perfectly free. So they then can set others free by the way they interact with and serve them. You know, 2 Corinthians 3.17, and I've translated this directly from the Greek that talks about the ministry of this Lord, of this Spirit. It says, now the Lord is that Spirit. What Spirit is that? The one that sets people free. And where that Spirit is Lord, there is freedom. You know, I tried to think of an illustration that could help us get something of the gravity of what this situation has seen is actually like for the disciples. Just just imagine, you know, 10 years down the road, there's, a, there's an election and there's a new party that is put in that brings the party leader to the place of prime minister. And so this prime minister is leading his party to govern. And, and supposing that he gets a bee in his bonnet about the plumbing in Parliament House. So he takes it upon himself, instead of ringing the plumber he actually takes it upon himself to fix the plumbing. Now, we wouldn't expect that of him, would we? But not only so. He just doesn't fix the plumbing in Parliament's house. He actually takes it upon himself to fix the plumbing in every federal government building in Canberra. 12 hours a day for the rest of his tenure. Now, some of us might think, well, that's probably what... No, we won't go there. Um, (laughs) But... But the point I'm trying to make is that that's not what we would expect of a prime minister, would we? For the Israelites, when they consider their Messiah, their response is even more intense than the shock horror that we might feel about that sort of a situation. You see, Jesus, he didn't fit anyone's expectations Not even the crowds. And when Jesus accepted the accolades of Messiah, you know, the the Mark 10 story of Jesus heading through Jericho up to Jerusalem and you've got blind Bartimaeus singing out, Son of David, Son of David, Son of David, have mercy on me. He's actually identifying Jesus as Messiah. And this Messiah was the anointed one, the saviour, the liberator. And people had, the Israelites, they had archetypes of, of those sorts of pictures in their mind that Moses led the Israelites, the Hebrews, out of, out of Egypt to the Promised Land. It was Joshua that led them in and conquered the Promised Land. And then it was David who, who exalted Israel, expanded Israel to its greatest heights ever. So they had these pictures of a political deliverer, liberator type person to establish the nation. Because in the, in the first century Palestine, the elephant in the room was Rome. The Israelites wanted one thing and one thing only, and that was liberation from Rome. In their thinking, they didn't need spiritual salvation because they assumed they had God locked up into covenant. 
because they were born Jews. They thought they were all good in the spiritual stuff, but what they wanted was a political and military ruler that would unite them and cast off Roman oppression. But instead of picking a fight with the Romans, Jesus models liberation in a completely different way. In bringing liberation to his disciples through the bowl and the towel, he actually shows us that in his mission, his kingdom, his liberation, it's directly tied to ours. And he took up the bowl and the towel to prove it. This is really scandalous. It's outrageous action. It's paradoxical. Even for you listening this morning, you might be expecting to be hearing about the humility of servanthood. But Jesus is speaking about something way, way that goes beyond that. This is more than just an act of servanthood and more than just an action of humility. Even those things are are good in and of themselves. Jesus is actively demonstrating his kingdom to his disciples. And as I have done this to you, you ought do to each other. That as he serves us, we are to bottom down. And you know, where, where the connection to our liberation is connected to the liberation of those around us, when we, when we actually bend the knee and take up the bowl and the towel, in whatever posture that looks like or circumstance, we are acting as Christ acted. And his character is being formed in us and we discover his liberation, even more so as we serve to liberate those around us. Can you see that connection? It's like uh, an action that Aboriginal artist, author and activist and academic Lilla Watson so well articulated when she said, if you've come here to help me, you're wasting your time. But if you've come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let's work together. And this is where we find the heart of this story. Jesus demonstrating his perfect love linking his love to others in the world because his liberation is bound up in theirs. His return to the Father is directly bound up with our liberation. He is saying, I am not leaving without you. (laughs) I am serving you. We leave together. The bowl and the towel, it's not just an example to follow, but evidence of a truth that our serving of others isn't an optional extra for us that we tack on to our salvation, but it's inextricably linked to salvation. Service is a response to grace because our liberty, becoming like Christ and the freedom of Christ, is realized as we bring liberty to those around us it's the reason we serve and john 14 20 says as much have a look at this so john further on capturing the words of jesus soon the world will no longer see me but you will see me since i live you also will live when i'm raised to life again you will know that i am in my father and you are in me 
and I am in you. And what Jesus is saying is, God the Father, with me and you, we will be liberated and we'll be liberated together. Is, Is this helpful to consider that we find our liberation as we bring liberation to others? You know, yesterday in the prayer walk, one of the things that I actually saw just down the street, there's this massive gum tree. It's huge. Massive, massive, massive gum tree. And in my mind's eye, I was imagining all the birds that come into this place for shelter and, and nurture and care and the shelter of this big tree. The scriptures speak of that. But then as I thought about it and prayed into that, I started to pray into it. And the revelation... 21 picture of the tree of life that spans the river of life which is the tree of life is Jesus and it's the leaves of the tree that bring healing to the nations and I'm thinking about us as a church that we are all together in this in this charge of bringing Christ's liberation to others and his freedom so the question and I thought about this in bringing this message to an end. I thought to me, you know, what does modern day footwork washing look like? Well, we, we are all individuals and we all have different networks of people that we, we rub shoulders with. And I think it would be presumptuous of me to trot out a list saying, well, this is what foot washing looks like in your world. Stephen, Nidra, I don't know what foot washing looks like in, in your world working with NDIS people, people in that program. I don't know what that looks like. I can't answer that for you. But I can cause you to ask the question. And so as, as I start to think about this, if our liberty is wrapped up in the liberty of those around us, what does this sort of foot washing look like in your networks, in your family unit, in your neighbourhood? What does it look like? How will this kind of foot washing shape who we include in our social networks, where we spend our time, who we spend it with and what we spend it doing? I mean, consider the great paradox here, not just about the humility of servanthood, but about liberty. It's much bigger. And you may have come here expecting another sermon on humility and servanthood, but here there is a completely different understanding emerging that mutually links our liberation to those around us. How does this understanding call us to shift in our prejudices of who we include or exclude, our preferences of what we find ourselves doing and our priority of giving those things the time. Let's pray together. Because, Father, these are searching and profound questions. May we wrestle with them well. Holy Spirit, help us to to engage the heart of Jesus, to have your eyes and your ears help us to be conformed into the likeness of Christ and to know that when we bow the knee and take up the bowl and the towel figuratively, that we, we find our liberation in you and becoming more like you as we bring 
that liberation to our friends, our family, our workmates, our neighbours and those in our social networks. Help us to prioritise, to sort out our preferences and to undo the prejudices that would erect boundaries and barriers between us and the child of Godness of others, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.